Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. This is 5.1, leaving behind the rapture to welcome King Jesus. Well, congratulations, my friends. We are rounding the corner on this Trinity on Tap New Testament series. This final section will focus on the end or the goal of creation and redemption in the New Testament. I've entitled it, The End of the World Full Stop. God completing, not destroying what God started. And the subtitle is, or on how the Lord comes to ferociously judge country music, Jar Jar Binks, and other tongue-in-cheek subpar things that resonate with people between the ages of 18 and 57. It's just a little bit long of a subtitle. Maybe I could shorten it a little. First, on country music. It's terrible. I believe God will judge it severely on the last day. It will be replaced by endless rock and roll music. Second, if you're not familiar with Jar Jar Binks, he is quite possibly the worst character ever created for film. And one of the annoying figures in Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3 all of which will be cast into the lake of fire when Jesus returns. Together with all the horrible CG graphics that were inserted sometime in the late 90s by George Lucas into the original Star Wars movies. Just terrible. All of it will come under severe judgment. But before all of that intense judgment commences, we should deal with 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Now, this text is one of the number one go-to texts for people who love, love to talk about the end of the world. I mean, they love it. Like their entire life is about preparing for the end of the world, predicting the end of the world, packing for the end of the world, brushing their teeth for the end of the world, having clean underwear for the end of the world, everything, all of this despite the fact that Jesus himself says in the Gospels, you will know neither the time nor the hour. This is because for many Christians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, is the key text that describes what people call the rapture, an event purported to occur in the last days when Jesus comes to earth to take believers to heaven before the end of the world. Yet, as N.T. Wright has famously said, heaven is great, but it's not the end of the world. In this clever play on words, Wright is referring to the fact that as Jesus himself prays in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Shane Claiborne has said, we can tell the world that there is life after death. But what the world really seems to be wondering is if there is life before death. In this episode, we're going to explore the teaching of the New Testament, that eternal life begins now and it continues for eternity. We exist now already in the kingdom of God and we await its consummation and we are part of its purposes here in the present. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21, we are ministers of reconciliation. 
pointing people to the reality of the new creation in Jesus Christ that exists now. We are God's ambassadors, Paul says, God making his appeal through us. And we're going to consider how in the book of Revelation, the end of the world is not heaven, but the renewal of the whole cosmos as heaven and the new Jerusalem are depicted as coming down to earth. Thus, instead of viewing salvation as an earthly evacuation, we are meant to view it as the unfolding of a cosmic transformation. So let's begin by hearing from the Word of God. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command and with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. My intention in exegeting this verse is certainly not to spoil anyone's faith by poking a bit of fun at the rapture. I can totally see how the belief has become an important part of you know, many Christians' belief and expectation about the end. The idea has been well promoted through the Left Behind movie series, which is infamous for its somewhat silly depictions of people just randomly disappearing, leaving only empty outfits and shoes behind as they are raptured. Meanwhile, those who do not proclaim Jesus as Lord are left behind. In North America, this phenomenon is huge, huge. If you Google rapture survival home kit, you will seriously find websites that look as if they were created in 1987, where they sell these, these like plastic bins that contain VHS video cassettes in which you are instructed to quote, leave this in plain sight for your loved ones who might be astonished by your disappearance. That's a direct quote from one of these websites. The instructions then further recommend writing on top of the plastic container, make sure you do it, it says, with a permanent marker. And they instruct you to write this, open at my disappearance. And the instructions further direct believers to include a King James Bible, it's gotta be King James, along with copies of all these random weird booklets with strange titles such as A Woman Rides the Beast and 101 Last Days Prophecies. Now, in my view, if someone believes that the end times will go down like this, no problem. 
I'm not here to tell you it's impossible. I do, however, think that there are several major problems with this interpretation. And I think that that should give us pause before we pursue it so obsessively and passionately. The main problem that I see with this rapture interpretation suffers from a faulty exegesis of the passage, and I'll tell you what I mean. When you read this passage within its immediate context in 1 Thessalonians, the rapture reading misses some pretty obvious interpretive clues, and these clues lead us and help us determine an entirely different, more coherent conclusion. Secondarily, on a more theological level, as I mentioned before, when you read across the New Testament, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, it becomes apparent that the trajectory of the biblical narrative is not toward this escapist eschatology. Eschatology is the theological word that we use to refer to the end times. An escapist eschatology is one that emphasizes leaving the earth permanently to go to a better place, namely heaven. Often, this is coupled with a literalistic reading of the book of Revelation and some passages in the Gospels, and it concludes with God destroying the earth. How is that good news? Practically, this leads believers to take on a pretty negative view of the earth, and it virtually eliminates any sense of creation care or ecological responsibility. Why care for the earth? God's going to destroy it in the end anyway. And then we'll all fly away, as the hymn says, to a better place. After all, as the common subcultural Christian saying says, this earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. So let me address those two concerns. And then I'm going to offer the biblical picture of the end in contrast to this reading. And I want to ask how it affects our faithful life of discipleship right now, in the present. First, the concern of 1 Thessalonians seems to have been around believers who had died before the coming of Christ. Paul ensures the Thessalonian church that those who have died in Christ— will be the first to rise upon Christ's return. Now, keep in mind, the early Christians were not expecting to remain as disembodied souls floating around playing harps in heaven forever. They were expecting to be raised from the dead in transformed bodies, bodies that were incorruptible, material, and eternal, not subject to pain, not subject to sin or death, that is what is meant in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, when Paul refers to Christ, who was raised from the dead, as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul continues in verses 22 to 23, where he explains that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. And the same idea is expressed elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, where it refers to Jesus Christ as the firstborn from among the dead. 
Jesus himself promises this in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, verse 40, when he says that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Thus, it can be seen that the expectation of early Christians was not simply life after death, but what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death, that is, life as eternal, embodied, resurrected beings. A second thing to note in this passage is that after the dead in Christ rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we're going to be with the Lord forever, the text says. Now, this is where rapture theology starts to come in. You know, to many readers, what Paul is saying is that on the last day, we go up to Jesus in the clouds. And the assumption is that from there, Jesus takes us back with him away to heaven, away from the earth. I mean, that would be my first reading of the text if I were just to come to it fresh without having any sense of the original Greek or the context of the passage. It also lines up with the hymns that many of us love and that many of us have sung for years. Hymns like I mentioned before, I'll fly away. And the lyrics to that are, I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Hear me clearly. I am not saying that the Bible denies that we are present with Jesus spiritually in heaven when we die. It definitely does say this. Thanks be to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Paul says, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Likewise, consider what Paul says in Philippians 1, verses 18 through 26. Hear the word of God. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come again to you. Clearly, Paul conceives of a reality in which those who are in Christ are with him from eternity, from the moment of death into eternity future. And yet, 
For Paul, heaven is not the ultimate goal. It is the penultimate goal. The ultimate goal is resurrection. The ultimate goal is new creation. Consider what he says two chapters later in Philippians 3, verses 8 and following. Hear the word of God. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, hear this, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, and not that I have already arrived at this goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So how are we to read 1 Thessalonians 3 then? And what is all this business about going up with Jesus into the clouds on the last day? It sure sounds like we're abandoning the earth to me. Well, that's the thing. The words in Greek here are those used elsewhere in the Greco-Roman world to express an envoy that goes out to the city gate to welcome a king into the city. The group would go out to meet the king, but they would not leave the city with the king, and they certainly would not fly away to another dimension with him. Rather, they would escort the royal figure back into the city where he would take up residence and from which he would rule. Thus, 1 Thessalonians uses the same imagery. It uses it to express how the Christians on the last day will meet Jesus in the clouds. The clouds throughout the Bible are used to express the appearing of God. They're not God's literal vehicle of transport. But once the Thessalonians meet Jesus in the air, as the text says, the idea is that they would welcome King Jesus back into the city where he would rule from his throne in a renewed earth forever. Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And he says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You see, in a sense, 
We do not need to wait for Jesus to return. The new creation has begun already. And we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation, all of us. And we're tasked with bringing the realities of Jesus' rule and reign to bear on a world in deep need of reconciliation. We who have been reconciled are now the means by which Christ reconciles the world to himself in a new creation. We are reconciled reconcilers. Finally, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we witness a really beautiful thing. The world that God created in the book of Genesis and that God called very good, it's not discarded, it's not destroyed, it's transformed, it's renewed, it's refreshed, it's revitalized, it's fully reconciled and redeemed. The creation that God has been, as Romans 8.22 says, groaning in the pains of childbirth is finally redeemed. Consider the picture at the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, where we see heaven coming down to the earth and restoring and reconciling all of God's creation. Hear the word of God. This is how the Bible ends, not with destruction, but with redemption and renewal. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no sea any longer. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, and there will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The goal of redemption is not an escape from earth where we fly off with the king to leave God's good creation behind. The goal of redemption is the reunification of heaven with earth so that God's rule and reign and will is done on earth just as it is in heaven. Not by bringing us up to heaven, but by bringing heaven down to earth. Have a look at the book of Revelation this week, especially chapter 21. Catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.